This is the South Florida Tech Podcast, a weekly show where we bring you the awesome, innovative people building our South Florida tech community. Each week, we'll introduce to you one of the Sunshine State's top business, startup, or tech leaders. Learn about who they are, what they do, and have some fun conversation along the way. This week's sponsor is the Delray Beach Startup Sales Message. In a time where most people don't pick up their phones, text messages have a 99% open rate. Sales Message's two-way texting platform gives you a simple dashboard to send, receive, and manage text message conversations online or on the go. To learn more, go to salesmessage.com. Hello, everybody. My name is Joe Russo, uh, and welcome to the South Florida Tech Podcast. Uh, With us today on the podcast, I am very excited to have uh, Brian Breslin. He is the OG of the South Florida tech community. Uh, He's a native of South Florida. He got his bachelor's degree from the University of Virginia and an MBA from Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. Uh, He's been an entrepreneur his whole life since 1996 and has been building companies, including a startup that he co-founded called Simcase down in Miami. Uh, He is most known in uh, Miami circles as the chairman of Refresh Miami, the largest tech and entrepreneurship group in South Florida, whose goal is to inspire the community to use technology to grow and build startups. Professionally, he is the director of the Launchpad at the University of Miami, where he leads the campus-wide entrepreneurship programs for students, faculty, and alumni entrepreneurs in growing their businesses and launching their ventures. He has been recognized as a leader of the growth of Miami's entrepreneur community into what it is today and is just overall an awesome fellow who has been uh, a guiding light for me over the years. uh, And I am very happy to have him with me today. So Brian, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Uh, My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Uh, So as you said, I'm a Miami native, which is rare here in Miami, Um, especially in the tech circles and startup circles. Yeah. Um, yeah. Born and raised in South Florida, uh, left for undergrad and then again for grad school. Um, but when I left Miami the first time, I never expected to come back. I never, Miami was not, um, something that I, I, I didn't think I fit in. Right. And so this for context this is around the year 2000 and I graduated in 2004 from undergrad. And so, um, when I came back, though, part of it was because I wanted to start something, not necessarily a, a tech community. I was more interested in starting a business and then found myself searching for um, a community of like-minded people. And that's sort of what ended up uh, sort of happenstance and stumbling upon or stumbling into creating a community that uh, became Refresh Miami. And so... The reality of it was it was very hard in 2006 and 2005 to connect with anyone in South Florida in tech because most people were either working at the big companies like Microsoft or um, Apple Latin America or wherever. Um, and the small independent people didn't uh, necessarily have an outlet. Like during the first dot-com boom, there'd been a few networking groups, but then they all fizzled away when that crashed. Um, and so Refresh was honestly me looking to make friends, you know, and hang out with people and talk about crazy business ideas, you know, um, and then it sort of evolved from there. But I've always been an entrepreneur since I can remember, since selling baseball cards and comic cards in elementary school and trading comic 
books in middle school. And, uh, and then I started my first actual business in high school selling uh, banner ads on websites back in the, in the late 90s or mid-90s and building websites for people and things like that. Wow. So I didn't, I didn't know that about you. So you were, you had the side hustles going on since high school. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That paid for part of my college. So did you do the same work, uh, through college as well of, uh, doing websites and, uh, paid marketing, things like that? No, when I got to college, I was, um, spending too much time, uh, having a good time and not enough time studying to be able to allocate more time for, um, business endeavors. And so I didn't uh, sort of pick that up again until after college. So refresh, um, you started in, uh, in 2006 and, um, it, it, it wasn't ever meant to be the big thing. I think it is today. It definitely transformed into that after helping so many people, but what was it like back uh, in the mid two thousands in South Florida? You know, what obviously in Miami, but maybe kind of like what the region was like as far as the tech community. Um, so like I said, I mentioned or touched on a little bit earlier, most of the people working in anything tech related were working at the big companies. Um, and so I used to go to things like the chambers of commerce or, um, or events like that. And basically if you weren't working at my, like a, at a big brand name, people weren't really taking you seriously. And, um, and then, so independent startups was sort of a, a crazy thought. No one was really into it. You know, and if you told people you were starting a business, they assumed at the time that it was a real estate business, you know, because that's sort of, as the real estate market was getting uh, frothy, you know, and people were uh, starting to do all these subprime loans and buying and flipping 20 houses at a time and getting real estate investment advice from their taxi driver and, and things like that. Um, and so back then there wasn't much, it was also, coincided with the, um, the web 2.0 and accessibility and sort of web standards movements, which were popularizing back then. So there was a sort of, um, uh, there were a few tools that were sort of beginning to be um, sort of newly adopted because it was the next generation of uh, sort of programming languages and web platforms that were making web and software development for the web more accessible. And so you didn't have the, sort of overhead of things like Java and uh, C++ and things like that, that you needed to know in, in the first generation to build interactive websites. And so there was a lot of interest in learning about those topics. And for me, it was, I was curious about them. I was building websites and building uh, basic software applications with, on my own, like freelancing back in 2004, 2005. And so I wanted to learn from other people. And so we gave, like, we sort of created this platform where people, in the beginning, it would be every month we'd have a volunteer who volunteered to present on a topic. And, um, and we'd order some pizzas and meet at someone's office. Um, and sort of everyone would bring their own beer. It was uh, whoever's office had the biggest fridge was the one we chose for that month. And it was sort of, you'd bring beers and share beers and try other people's beers. And, you know, everyone would chip in a few bucks for pizza or I ended up paying for a ton of the pizza just because I figured it was easier. Um, I was discussing, I think at one point with Maria Dirci Russo, who runs Refresh by me now, how I think I spent probably between five and $10,000 of my own money on pizza the first few <laughs> years, just like 
uh, to keep the sort of momentum going of the organization and stuff. Um, and by organization, I just mean a loose, ga- a loosely knit gathering of people because there was no, it wasn't incorporated. It wasn't a formal structure. Um, as far as board, there was, it was like me, Peter Martinez and Davide Di Chilo were um, the ones sort of um, doing a lot of the like legwork just for volunteer purposes. And then we also had a ton of help from Alex De Carvalho early on too, who was at the first uh, refresh meetup that was at a Starbucks in uh, in South Beach in, in March of 2006. Wow. So, I mean, you must have been really popular with your pizza guy. That's oh yeah yeah I like I got to the point where I was negotiating with them, and I would say like look we're buying a hundred or like at, at that point it was like fifty pizzas a month and I think at our peak we were buying two hundred pizzas a month and so like we had to call the orders in days in advance so they would know how to make enough dough and have it all ready and like I don't know how they kept them all warm like to me that seems logistically mind boggling but then. Um, they figured it out, you know, and so, you know, that $1 per pizza discount that they offered went a long way, you know, so. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of uh, pizza restaurants that have gone uh, very well in the last few weeks, but, um, you know, I have not heard mm-hmm. anybody buying as much pizza as you, you bought for Refresh. So that's that's an amazing factoid I'm going to hang on to. Um, so going back to... Um, 2006, you know, from there until now, I mean, we're, you know, almost at 15 years. I mean, there's been a lot of growth in uh, the tech industry and the tech community, but with that, I think there's been a lot of obstacles too. And I I think there are the the obstacles as far as any industry goes. I mean, obviously the recession, obviously, you know, some companies, um, uh, they, they, they have layoffs, some companies come in and they hire a bunch of people. Um, and then there's like the political side of, you know, a, a lot of fish in a small pond maybe, but what do you think the biggest obstacles have been as far as growing a refresh Miami and then growing the entrepreneurial community with, along with it? So one of the reasons I came back to Miami after college was I wanted to be a bigger fish in a small pond. Like, and I was starting from scratch. Um, because I, my thought process back then was if I went to San Francisco or New York, and I wanted to have any reasonable amount of impact, it would be really, really, really hard, you know, because I wasn't coming from a well-connected family. My family, both my parents are teachers that work at FIU down here, you know, so it's not like we have money. Um, and I think Miami in 2006 and Miami still in 2020, there's still a lot of opportunity to have impact as an individual. Um, the city is still very malleable. Um, and, but but to sort of readdress or focus on what you actually asked, um, I think in the beginning there wasn't much outside interest from non-startups, so there wasn't the ecosystem of companies that benefited from selling to startups, or the be- ecosystem of people who benefited from sort of investing or identifying startups, you know. Um, and then the economic impact of startups was not even remotely recognized by the city or county level um, players at the time. You know, this is, we're talking about six years before Knight Foundation started putting in money into um, into anything related to entrepreneurship in, in South Florida, right? You know, um, 
And then I think the DDA and city of Miami started putting some money into things around 2012, you know, and then the county may have put some money in at some point around then too. But I think we're talking about a big, uh, long time frame, right? And there's been a ton of companies that have come and gone over that time frame. And we've also seen one full recession and recovery, you know, and then another, we're now diving headfirst into another one, you know, uh, or, or worse, right? And so, um, I'm like oh, rambling a little bit, but I think it's interesting to see sort of uh, who's been sort of interested in the scene and who's been from an outside perspective, you know, not the interest, the self-interested parties, you know, but the, the parties that could support and could stand to prop up the ecosystem and things like that. And that's changed over time. You know, some of those organizations have come and gone. Some of those organizations have shifted their priorities, you know, but if I could, I wish I had had access to mentors and people who had done it before in 2006 through 2012. You know, there wasn't really that knowledge base to, to learn from. You know, um, I think the only areas where I was able to like pick up uh, best practices here and there were people from other communities that I would meet at South by Southwest every year. Yeah. Um, and so, that was a very rambling sort of indirect way of answering your question. And I don't even know if I touched on all the, the key parts of it. Well, I think but. that, you know, you, you could talk for, for days about building and the, the obstacles to building. I mean, uh, on your last mm -hmm. point, I mean, you know, in, in the work I've done, you were one of my first conversations and really one of the first um, websites I went to in thinking, okay, well, how do you build a tech community in Palm Beach, which we've done over the last few years, but, um, you know, there were a handful of people, a handful of organizations that were really out there. And, uh, you know, now there's a lot, there's a lot of tech organizations, there's a lot of startup organizations. Um, and I, I think people have, you know, realized that impact. And I think the large companies have realized that impact too, because when you have a tech community, let's say in Miami, and you have a large company, you know, offer up is one of the new ones that's opening up an office in Miami they have that upfront visual of like, Hey, you know, there, there are things going on. There are people really involved. There's a lot of momentum here. There's a lot of activity. So being a part of that, whatever size company you are, it really adds to the value of the city. It adds to the value of the region. It adds to the value of everybody who's taking part in it. Um, but you know, I, 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 I can see a lot of obstacles that you and I have both overcome, I think in our own right. And getting that way but um you know, let's maybe pivot that a little bit and say what's the biggest challenge today now you know here we are it's may we're in a pandemic recession perhaps you know we'll, we'll see what's the biggest challenge for the south florida technology and entrepreneurship community moving forward uh, that's it again that's a conversation we can talk about for days on that right? yeah um I want to step back though. Like one thing you talked about was like the big companies are now um, becoming aware of South Florida as an option, you know. And I think one of the challenges that we've had historically, and it's more of a sort of ingrained in our, like we weren't starting with the same assets that some of the other communities start with, which is in many of the other successful ecosystems, people the people spin out of the big companies and start companies to solve problems where that original big company is their first customer. 
we don't have that. We don't have that culture of um, uh, of sort of local purchasing and local local recycling of dollars. You know, and that's something that's going to be a challenge coming in the in this recession, right? Because some of the biggest employers down here are getting hurt, pummeled by all this, right? You know, all three cruise lines like. It's going to be tough for anyone to sort of willingly put themselves in a cruise ship and a tin can in the middle of the ocean when they already, it was already a high likelihood of, you know, things like legionnaires and food poisoning and things like that before this, you know. And so now it's going to be tough for them to recover and get off the, you know, um, get off their footing or get back on their footing, I should say. Yeah. You know, um, and those people, those companies employed tens of thousands of people that were in, either directly or indirectly related to tech roles, you know. And those are the roles you need and the sort of stable employers you need in order to, um, to drive the um, security, sort of the, the confidence that people can have in order to spin out their own companies, you know. Because um, so many people start companies after they've saved up six months of runway or three months of runway or whatever it is from their regular day jobs, you know, and they have this itch of some in this problem that they really want to solve. And then they just dive in deep and do it. Right. And now we're going to be running on empty. So I don't know if we'll have that um, sort of that underlying asset. Right. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the angel investors will say, well, we'll just, Borrow from your friends and family, you know, but like that expects you to have rich friends and family, you know, um, that assumes you have the same friends that the angel investors do, you know. Um, and so I don't know, I don't think we're, and then also in this sort of scenario, a lot of the friends and family are also running on empty, you know, they're either victims of layoffs or they are burning through their savings and things like that. So it's def- this whole thing is definitely going to set back the start of growth that we were experiencing, you know, um, much more than I would like to admit, you know, or much more than we care to sort of conceptualize. Yeah. Well, one of the ways I've been thinking about it is um, like a domino effect almost where, you know, Royal Caribbean, um, you know, they were one of the top tech employers and we're really doing some next generation stuff. Um, over there, but you know now that the entire hospitality and tourism market has gotten hit hard, and you know over time mm-hmm. that domino effect kind of it implicates other companies that are directly connected, and then you know over time everybody gets affected. And so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping you know we'll we'll be able to get out of this, and those companies can still you know survive and thrive at the end of the day, but you know, that impacts everyone in one way or another. And if you're not seeing it today, you could see it tomorrow. So hopefully everybody's, you know, on top of their game with, uh, with funding and, you know, being sustainable. But, you know, the, the, the whole thing about, um, you know, having, having rich investors always helps. There's not a lot of um, people out there, sadly. Um, one of the things I think that will make South Florida really, um, you know, sustainable beyond all this is we have a lot of unique qualities down here. And and some of them are pretty obvious. Like there's the Latin American connection, you know, the gateway to Latin America is, uh, is what really is trying to drive a lot of business growth in Miami, but there's just a lot of other, you know, 
bits and pieces that make this unique, uh, make us unique and really, you know, uh, a, a prime community to thrive. But curious where you think there are some unique parts about us here in South Florida that will really take us beyond this recession and, um, you know, allow us to thrive in the long run. So I think, look, one of the big traits that, my, that Miami and South Florida have is we're naturally a very entrepreneurial community, right? A huge percentage of the businesses in South Florida were under 10 people in size, right? We're also used to not having access to capital, right? That's something that we don't have the luxury of compared to some of the uh, other big metro areas, you know? And so we're scrappy, right? And we'll make things, we'll cobble things together. You know, we're obviously going to take a big hit by tourism, but 20% of the GDP of the region, you know? Um, and I don't know how quickly travel will rebound, like non-tourist travel, just business travel, um, especially to Latin America. And no, none of us can predict sort of who's going to recover first and who's not. And also, what's the second order effect of some of these countries? So like, say one of our big trading partners wipes out coronavirus in their local ecosystem, they're not going to want us to come visit because we're still dealing with this shit show over here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so us as their primary customer will still keep impacting their, um, their GDPs and all that stuff in, in their regions, right? You know, and so this is going to have a lot of domino effects like you mentioned earlier, you know. Um, you might recover, but if your customers are still suffering, you don't have a business, mm-hmm. you know. So we're going to have to learn how to, to be lean, how to um, sort of be as scrappy as we can our startups are going to have to focus as much as possible on um, understanding cash flow and unit economics. You know, you're not going to be able to um, sell a dollar for 90 cents and hope that you can do it for the rest of the time, you know? Um, Cause like, it'll rethink how we do things, you know, but like if we're smart about it and if we provide our local businesses and I'm not talking about just tech and startups, I'm talking about all the businesses that we all rely on because they're all intertwined. You know, if we start giving them ideas and giving them the tools to um, to get back on their feet fast, you know, like it could be some things like giving um, local restaurants tools to offer direct ordering and local uh, courier unions or something like that in order to do delivery so they're not paying 40% to Uber Eats or Postmates or some other company, you know, um, or partnering them with other restaurants in order to like fill their capacity of their kitchens, you know, through ghost kitchens and things like that. But from a Latin American perspective, to go back to your original point, I think um, we're hopefully well positioned to be sort of, to actually make us the entry point for all the uh, sort of the rebound of the, Latin America as a region, you know, because Latin America is going to get hit hard, you know. Um, but it's just a matter of rethinking also all these different dynamics, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, my thought process is probably the same as yours. Is there's a lot, there's a lot in the table. And hopefully, it all goes well. Um, uh, shifting a little bit to you, I mean, you are obviously working with startups every day, not only on your your side hustle right now, which is Refresh Miami, the nonprofit, but also in work at um, what inspires you to get up every day and work with entrepreneurs every single day? 
So the reason I took the business or the job at UM three years ago was I had been volunteering and mentoring students and alumni and like in local businesses for years as a volunteer. Um, and it was something I wish I had had access to when I was starting off as an entrepreneur, you know, and I'm a firm believer that you like the more uh, smart people you surround yourself with, the more you can learn and the faster you can accelerate your business. And so there, to me, there always felt like a gap or something that I wish I had had access to. And so I felt compelled to, um, to help younger entrepreneurs or newer entrepreneurs minimize their um, risks and also minimize their pain points, you know, because entrepreneurship is really just a series of experiments, learning from them, adjusting the experiment and repeating, you know, until you get to the right, uh, the optimal outcome you're looking for, you know. Um, and that's something that, you know, so much of my history as an entrepreneur was built on sort of trying, failing, learning, trying, failing, learning, but like I didn't have the frameworks or I didn't have the advisors or the mentors to help me uh, speed that up, you know, or to take advantage of trends. You know, I think one thing that like both you and I are going to be um, sort of pivotal to in South Florida is helping people understand what are the new opportunities coming out of this, you know, how do they adapt their businesses? What are the things that they may not be seeing because they don't have as much exposure to the industry as a whole as we do, you know, or they don't have as many conversations as we do, you know, and that's where a lot of this information lives in these conversations, you know. Um, and so being able to get paid to, to do that and to like uh, help people accelerate and grow their businesses was a no brainer for me, you know, it was, yeah. um, it was sort of like the job was meant for me, I guess, you know, like in some shape or form. Um, and so that's sort of, what, that's why I keep doing it. You know, that's why I keep, uh, that's why I stay here in South Florida, you know, like I could have moved away at any point, you know, I probably made a ton more money, you know, going to work at uh, Facebook or Google or someplace like that, you know, um, assuming they would hire someone who for years I thought I was unemployable because I was so entrepreneurial or whatever. Um, but I think, yeah. And like, that's, that's my way of having a lasting impact, you know, and creating a legacy here in South Florida is helping others grow their businesses. So, uh, lessons learned. Brian Breslin is employable. Uh, he can work. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know. I, I feel you on that. I mean, it's, um, you know, it, it's important that, you know, we find, you know, the wins in life to, to really keep us going. But, you know, I, I think the work that you and I have done and will we'll continue to do is more important than ever. Um, one of the things I, I noticed in the PPP was uh, 501c6 organizations aren't eligible for that. So this include groups like ours, every single chamber of commerce out there. And these are all the people that are trying to help companies, trying to help um, small businesses. And that was something that, you know, I took for like a, you know, like a, a shoot yourself in the foot type of scenario where a lot of the people who are set up to, to help others really can't. So, you know, I'm hoping that with well, we, we can have that kind of a, a refocus here after all this. I think, look, I think, I think there's going to be several more rounds of stimuli, you know, 
um, because I think all this money that's being pumped in is going to have burned off, you know, and turned to vapor soon. Um, because you know the economy is not going to rebound overnight, you know. And I think it behooves us as ecosystem builders and as community organizers and things like that to push for inclusion in these types of uh, packages. I mean, you're more familiar with how the legislative system works and the political uh, machinery of the state and the federal level work in order to do these things. And I get why they probably excluded 501c6s versus 501c3s, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it could be seen as sort of political sort of self-dealing. But like Refresh Miami is a 501c3, which yeah. is a different type of nonprofit for the audience. You know, we're not allowed to be engaged in political activity of any kind, you know. Um, but since we're so small and underfunded, we don't have full-time staff. So we didn't qualify for uh, the PPP either. Hmm. You know, all our staff is either volunteer or independent contractors that are paid sort of here and there. So there isn't a uh, average payroll for the year, right? You know, and the PPP also didn't help for a lot of companies that are relying on uh, independent contractors, you know, um, and I get it. That's because the government is trying to punish people for uh, saddling individuals with the healthcare and benefits and things like that in theory, you know, but like I'm, look, I'll be political and say that I think that companies, individual companies shouldn't be the source for health insurance for the average individual. You know, I don't think you should be relying on your employer to make sure you can go get a checkup, you know? Um, And that's sort of, another variable that's playing into all this too you know think about this 30 million people now have no uh, no health insurance yeah just in the last month yeah and i agree right there, when they need it most and i agree with you i mean there, there's going to have to be a number of different rounds of this um stimulus um and you mentioned the, that i have a little bit of background to understand the legislative process but i understand it enough just to know i don't understand it because uh, some of the stuff that, that happens or the process is just so convoluted that you know, the average American can't can't make two heads of it. Yeah. So, but um, shifting the conversation uh, to use for a second, um, I, I'm curious what what are you doing right now? What are you doing with your free time? I know you're a soccer buff, um, and uh, obviously the soccer is really not being played right now, but you know, what are you doing to, um, um, try and make the best of your free time? Um, so I've been like relearning how to program and taking code Academy online. Um, I've been, um, uh, doing lots of household sort of chores and things like that that were sort of not high priority before, but now that they're more priority, I, I can tackle them. I've been, Going for a run, trying to breathe through my face face mask, which is <laughs> not yeah. ideal, you know. Um, and I've been, I guess, spending a lot more time on video chat with uh, with friends and family, you know, than I ever expected to. You know, the time that I thought I would have extra from not having a commute and things like that, it somehow ends up getting filled, anyways. You know, by um, more people also having more time to ask more of everyone. And so I think we're fortunate that we have jobs that we can do from home. And so I'm not complaining about that. I think it's just a matter of sort of just adjusting to all this. Yeah. And what is your favorite soccer team, by the way? 
Mm. Well, if they had been able to finally have a home game, I would have said enter Miami. But I'm still waiting on that. And I'm still also a little salty that they're a Fort Lauderdale team and not a Miami team. Yeah. Internationally, I would say my favorite team is Arsenal. Mm-hmm. And for no other reason than I liked them when I was a kid and, um, and sort of stuck with it, you know. Yeah, I hear you. I think a lot of people just stick with the big names in the same as like baseball as the Yankees, you know, soccer, you're going with Arsenal or Manchester, something like that. Manchester United, not Manchester City. Yeah. Um, But the, uh, (laughs) the, the other um, thing that's just kind of, I I think, uh, you you know, crazy right now is, you know, we're spending a lot of time, you, you know, staying connected to people that we wouldn't otherwise stay connected to. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know when the last time is we spoke actually. And, you know, I was like, you know, Hey, I w- we should invite Brian on. I haven't talked to him in the longest time. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to actually reconnect with you because, you know, I've always kind of looked up to you in this odd way of Brian's done it first. And, you know, and, and, and it's been, it's weird being geographically disconnected. You know, now that we're, more virtually connected, we can make some of those more, more meaningful conversations happen. Um, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. With that, we're, we're almost at time for, for the podcast, but, um, I was curious on an ending point, uh, what call mm-hmm. to action and, or what advice you would have for the South Florida tech community today? So I think one thing that people need to start, uh, that I'd like everyone to take to heart is, do some research, look to see who's working on things that are interesting to you and reach out to them and volunteer and ask them how you can contribute because um, we get too much repetitive cycle of people trying to start something new on their own to solve a problem that someone else is already tackling rather than collaborating, you know, and it ends up sort of fragmenting all the effort and we need people to be collaborating more if we want these things to succeed and to sustain, you know, because it's a Herculean effort for any one or two small underfunded organizations to try and build this community. But working together, I think that we can all accomplish something great, you know, and I think um, now more so than ever is the time to focus on, you know, some of the things that the ecosystem, the startup ecosystem benefits us all, which is, you know, job creation and things like that, you know, we're going to, there's what, tens of a few thousand people in tech who are laid off just in South Florida, you know, probably tens of thousands actually, you know, and the only way they're going to be get employed is if we all work together and help them find new jobs, you know? Yeah. So. And, uh, you know, for, for that, I've talked to Maria, um, a little bit on that too. And we're, we're collaborating a little bit and, Good. Trying, trying to figure it out, but you know, there, there's, I think there's so big of a, a need right now that it takes like 10 Brian's and 20 Maria's and 17 Joe's and whoever else to really kind of fill yep. the need over there. So hopefully we can keep doing work and, you know, people keep supporting us and find the, uh, the, the, the sense in their, their back pocket to, to keep, um, keep this up. But you know, with that, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. Uh, if you're interested more in what we do at Palm Beach Tech, you can go to palmbeachtech.org. Uh, we have memberships. You can click Get Involved and see uh, some of the ways that you can 
uh, be engaged in our community. Uh, and of course, uh, if you're in Miami uh, listening to this, go to refreshmiami.com. Uh, there's some really awesome um, things uh, that they do uh, throughout the year, a lot of um, great events, and they do have memberships there as well. So you can check them out and uh, get involved with Refresh. But uh, Brian, thank you so much, man, for everything um, you've always done uh, and always been uh, a good ear to bend. Um, I hope everything keeps going well with you, man, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Likewise, thanks for having me. Hopefully in a few months, maybe we'll do this one in person. Yes, again with beer. You know, we'll get to that point. Yeah, there you go, exactly. All right, I'll talk to you later, man. All right, take care. We'd like to thank our producing sponsor, Media Ops. They're the premier global media platform for technical communities with brands such as DevOps.com, Security Boulevard, Container Journal, and Digital Anarchist. DevOps.com, their primary brand, attracts and engages a thriving online community of technology professionals around the world. It is currently the largest collection of original content relating to DevOps on the web today, featuring up to the minute news, highlighted stories, blogs, and much more.